Thank you, Lord, for this day that you've given us. Thank you for your extravagant love poured upon us in this, this moment. Thank you for your coming to earth to redeem our souls from destruction. Thank you for making a difference in our lives. Thank you that this morning, once again, we can come and look into your word. This last Sunday of the year, we just pray that once again you will speak to our hearts, that you will be in our midst, and that we will be changed from looking into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today we are looking at the book of Jude. It's a small little book, but wow, does it pack a punch. So we're going to look into it today. I um, got a new um, one-year Bible. That's the New Living the new living Translation. I think that's what it is. I read the portion for yesterday. That's what got me going. So I said, oh, let's look at Jude. We did Revelation. It comes right before Revelation. I just love the way it's written here. It's it's It helps us to understand it. Uh, I think a little bit more clearly than perhaps we've understood it before. This letter is is from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I love that, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, he doesn't force us into slavery, but as we love him um, in the... In the older versions, it says a bond servant of Jesus Christ, okay, which uh, was if if they had a servant and the servant loved their master and it came you know certain times they were supposed to release all of their all of their servants, let them go back to their families and, and live in their own uh, properties. But if a servant loved his master and didn't want to go free, sometimes they didn't have family to go to or for whatever the reason, they wanted to stay with their master um, rather than have to find another place to serve or work. They could say, no, I don't want to be free. I want to stay serving you. You're a good master, and I love working for you. And then um, they would bore a hole in the ear and, and I suppose, put an earring in it, and that was a, a, a bond servant, was someone who had willingly said, I love my master, my master treats me well, and I'm going to stick with him. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't want any other master, do we? We don't want him to set us free and say, you can find yourself another master. So out of love, we say, I want to serve you for all my life. I'm not going anywhere else because I found um, contentment and satisfaction with you. And so that's the idea there in that slave of Jesus Christ, because he doesn't make us slaves. He sets us free, doesn't he? It's by our choice. Okay, and a brother of James. I am writing to all who have been called by God the Father, who loves you and keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. A beautiful greeting, isn't it? Who keeps you safe in the care of Jesus Christ. No better place to be cared for, is there, than in the keeping of Jesus Christ. Um, people are looking for for care, for someone to care for them. Sometimes we find it a little bit in another person, but the best place is to find it in Jesus Christ. No one cares for us like Jesus. Jesus is a friend that sticks with us in good and bad times, and his care, his watchful care over our lives is something we 
can continually be amazed at and astounded by because that the God of the universe could care so intimately about our lives is truly cause for rejoicing at all times. Okay, may God give you more and more mercy, peace, and love. That's good. We'll accept that, right? Those are good Christmas gifts. I'm sure you all got some nice gifts this week. But here's a gift that can't buy and the world can't take away more mercy peace and love right more and more more and more more and more peace mercy and love praise the lord dear friends i had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share but now i find that i must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that god has entrusted once for all to his holy people, to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people. We need to be good defenders of the faith. (laughs) Uh, We call people a defender of the faith who have had to stand for the truth in in hard times. And we are um, in a place in our country where we may have to stand for stand for truth and be persecuted for it. Christianity is is not loved and and popular, is it right right now? And so we have to be willing to be defenders of the faith and stand for truth. Um, so much of what is portrayed as Christian is wrong. It's 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 um, untruthful. It's it's mixed with mixed with uh, all kinds of strange things. And so we have to know uh, what we believe. We have to know what our faith is, and we have to be able to defend it. Not, you know, there's people, um, there's, <laughs> there's people that spend a lot of time fighting over, you know, biblical truth and theological positions and all of that. And, and we know that's not what God needs us to do. He doesn't need us to, to fight over it. But we need to know that we can give an answer, that we know what what the word says and what the truth is, that we can speak up when we need to speak up. And that's what more what defend means there than to to mean argue over it. You can argue over scripture till you're blue in the face. That doesn't really usually change anybody's mind. <laughs> it's usually just um, for the sake of argument. Some people just love to argue. And um, love to have those kind of, of uh, discussions, and um, that's that's not what that's not what that doesn't do us any good, really. We need to know the truth so we can live it, and that it, when 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 it's brought into question, we can we can speak the truth and know what we believe. Okay, verse four. I say this because some ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago, for they have denied our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. And I thought as I read this, wow, you know, we think, oh, it's worse than it ever was. But look at, this was written a real long time ago. And look at what he's saying. Ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Doesn't that sound familiar? Sound familiar? We have, we have, we have church, 
church organizations in our world that allow people who are uh, living blatantly in sin to uh, be in the pulpits and 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 preach the supposedly pre- preach the gospel, living in in blatant immorality to live immoral lives. This is this is not good. This is not according to scripture. And it was way back here when this book was written by Jude. So, you know, people don't want to come to the word of God and submit themselves to the truth of God's word because we have to change. We have to live according to it. And um, living immoral lie, in an immoral lifestyle is not what God wants from us. He wants us to separate ourselves from all that is sinful. You know, it's hard to even say it because in our world it's not acceptable to say that, is it? It's not acceptable. And yet we have to. We have to stand for truth. And we have to know what the Word says. It's not that we don't love the people who are living in sin. Of course, we, we love people. But God, and God loves people, but he hates the sin. And you can't, and we're going to see this later on as we look into the Old Testament in a little while, how God hates sin. And he, he's not kidding. It's not a joke with him. It's not, uh, it doesn't matter kind of thing or just love everybody kind of thing. That's not the word of God. All right. His grace does not allow us to live immoral lives. And then, He says in verse 5, So I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who do not remain faithful. And what he's saying here is, you remember how, you know, with a mighty hand, God delivered the Israelites from from Egypt, and he chose them as a nation to to, uh, show himself to the world. That was favor, wasn't it? That was great favor. He chose to dwell among them. He gave them the instructions to build the tabernacle. That his presence, he he, he came down in the cloud, right, right in the midst of, uh, right in the midst of them, and revealed his glory to them, as we talked about for the last couple of weeks um, about the glory. And yet, when they chose to worship idols to perform sexual immorality, which was included in idol worship much of the time, um, killing children, sacrificing children, and, and all kinds of, of, of uh, immorality. What did he do? He didn't say, well, that's okay. I chose you as my people, so don't worry about a thing. <laughs> Is that what God said? No. God would stir up some enemies to come after them to to wake them up and to or he would raise up a prophet that would say unless you repent and get rid of all these idols god's going to judge us and is going to send send judgment to us and so that's what jude is saying here i'm reminding he's reminding this is the early church remember this is the early church okay so it was way back there no surprise that it's it's all it's it's in our world um, so I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus rescued the, first, re, re, rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. So there was judgment that was meted out because of their ungodly living and turning from God spelled it out for them. 
God didn't just um, leave it to their imagination. He gave them written in stone. Okay, we always say, well, it's not written in stone. But God wrote it in stone (laughs) what they were supposed to do and what they were supposed to strive for. And he knew they couldn't do it perfectly, so he made a way for them to keep in relationship with him by uh, bringing the sacrifices and the tabernacle in. So that if when they when they failed, they could come with a sacrifice to 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 make it right, so that he he could stay in their midst. So it wasn't like he just, you know. Sometimes we have this idea that you know he wrote the Ten Commandments in stone, and then you know they couldn't do it anyway. So so what's the use? No, he made a way. It's just like for us, he made a way. He made Jesus Christ came, and he's our our way when we fail. We come and we repent and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness and we stay in relationship. Well, he made a way for them too. Only it was a little, it was a little different. It was the, the shadow of good things to come. They had to bring a sacrifice and they had a su- chance for their failure, their sin onto the animal and the animal ha- had to be killed in their place. So we see that. <clears throat> Um, God has made a way, and he did write it in stone. He did explain to them. They they weren't clueless about what God expected. Neither are we. Neither are we clueless. And our world is trying to cover up, our Christian world is trying to cover up um, what God expects of us when we are in relationship with him. Like, it doesn't matter. Just live however you please. But we see here that it, that it does. Okay. And I... Right, and that's why they served idols and lived again in immorality because they didn't believe that what he had said he was able to perform. Okay, verse 6, And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority. So first he says, okay, remember the Israelites. And now he goes and takes a step further and he says, The angels who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. Wow. That gives us a a window of information that we don't get anywhere else, huh? You know, we read in another place that Lucifer um, was the most beautiful and the worship leader in heaven. He exalted himself, thought he was better than God, and he was cast out. But this kind of gives us a little more information, doesn't it? who did not stay within the limits of authority God gave them, but left the place where they belonged. God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness, waiting for the great day of judgment. So, you know, again, we see there that when the angels stepped out of line, it kind of goes back to um, divine order, right? God created them for a purpose and a plan. They stepped out of it. Well, what came? Judgment. Judgment, they're, they're, they're set for judgment because of stopping to doing what God created them to do. Somehow they had a choice and they stepped out of the limits of what, what God, that God had drawn for them. And how important it is that we know the limits. We need to know the limits, don't we? With God, there are limits. There are ten commandments written in stone. Yes, there are. There are, but he wants to live in us and write that on our hearts. He wants to write his law on our hearts so that, and, and then he fills it. We, we have the Holy Spirit to empower us to live it out. 
He doesn't leave us to our own resources. Of course, we live now after the cross. So, I mean, the people that lived prior to, it was harder for them, for sure. But now he's writing to redeemed Christians who had the power of the Holy Spirit and did not need to uh, continually go back into, into sin. And he's reminding them. He's reminding them. And he's just using this the angels as an example of how when they stepped away from what God had prescribed, it wasn't good for them. And now he, ta- he takes another example. And don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah. Ooh-ooh. And their neighboring towns, which were filled with immorality and every kind of sexual perversion. Those cities were destroyed by fire and serve as a warning of the eternal fire of God's judgment. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Abraham, God came and spoke with Abraham and said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. There's nobody righteous there. And Abraham thinks, oh, wait a minute, my nephew Lot lives there. There must be 50 righteous people <laughs> living between the two cities. Well, he says, wait a minute, God, wait a minute. What if there's, what if there's 50 righteous people there? And God, you know the story. God says, okay, if there's 50 righteous, I'll, I'll, I'll not destroy it. Then Abraham starts thinking a little bit more. Hmm, 50. Maybe not. <laughs> 40, Lord? <laughs> Lord says, okay, for 40, I won't destroy it. Then Abraham thinks a little bit more, and he thinks, hmm, not so sure about 40 either. <laughs> Lord, 30? <laughs> no, and they go back and forth. And finally, you know, Abraham starts counting them. Well, there's Lot, and there's his wife, and then there's his children. <laughs> Gets all the way down to 10. And God said, I won't destroy it if there's 10 righteous people. Wow. But there weren't. And so God sent angels to get Lot out because of Abraham's praying. Abraham had prayed. Shows you a couple of things. Our prayers make a difference. <laughs> he prayed. Abraham had, had, had talked with God. That was prayer, okay? And, and God sent angels to Lot's door to grab him and his family and his wife and get them. And they literally had to pull them out because of Abraham's prayers. Yeah, they tried to. They were going to try and molest the, the angels. Absolutely, when they came into the city, that's how perverse it was. Yes, and so finally they grabbed them and pulled them and spared them. But then, as soon as they got out away from the city, the judgment of God came down. So that tells us a lot, doesn't it? That story. The righteous are like salt; they preserve, they keep God's judgment from falling. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Why do you think America has not been destroyed to now? Because there's righteous. There's righteous people praying. And, and they're, you know, they're not the ones we see in the media, unfortunately, but there are across our lands, there are righteous people who pray and seek the Lord and pray for our nation. And God's hand is, he, he holds back, he holds back, he holds back his judgment because judgment is is due. Our God, you know, in, in Hebrews it says, our God is a consuming fire. Okay? That's what it says. We forget that. We forget that. It's easy to push that away. All right. Let's go on. Verse 8. In the same way, these people who claim authority from their dreams live immoral lives, defy authority, and scoff at su- supernatural beings. So here we see that there were some who, kind of like 
psychic stuff, you know, or following their dreams. Oh, I had a dream. I think that's what I'll do today, you know, type of stuff. We have that in our world too. Uh, people who live by their dreams and they're living immoral lives. They say, well, I had a dream that then this, so this is okay when they're living in sin. It's <laughs> not right. Defy authority. There you go again. In order to be part of God's kingdom, we have to come under his authority. There's just no two ways around it. We bow. We bow. He's God. <laughs> we bow. He's God. That's the way it is. And we have to understand that. And actually love that, actually. And scoff at supernatural beings. So, you know, we have that in our world, too, where um, there's, there's those who scoff and say there's no afterlife. That's, you know, you're dead, you're dead. That's it. It's, it's over. And they don't believe in anything after that. But that's not what the Bible teaches us, does it? Not what the Bible teaches us. So we have to know. We can't let we can't let the thoughts of others who don't know the word sway us, or 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 make us question. We have to know. We have to know what we believe and know what the word says and know. We know that there is heaven and a hell. We know that there's life after 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 death. We know that we're going to live with him forever, and. Um, we don't have to be frightened by people's questions and saying, well, I don't believe that, and what about this, and what about that. Well, no, we know. We know. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. Now, now, verse number nine. But even Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, now we're talking about angels again, did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you. This took place when Michael was arguing with the devil about Moses' body. We would have no clue about this either, except for this little verse tucked in here. This amazing book, this little book of Jude. (laughs) So the devil argued with Michael about Moses' body. Wow. Interesting, huh? I can't tell you what they were arguing over, but there was something going on there. So isn't that interesting? And even Michael... The mightiest of angels did not dare accuse the devil of blasphemy, but simply said, the Lord rebuke you, showing that, you know, the Lord is the final judge, not us. And, and again, this is a danger. You know, we oh, it's true. We are not to go around judging people and damning people. Of course not. We, we are here to share the good news with people that, there's a there's a remedy for your sin. There's 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 a provision. The Lamb has been slain to take away your sin, bring you into right relationship with the God of the universe. It's not bad news, although that's sometimes how it's presented. And so we have to understand that. Of course, God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to repentance. He doesn't want his people to be damned and go to hell. He wants them to relieve on him and to accept him as Lord and Savior so that they can be with him forever and have eternal life. The worst of sinners that we consider the worst or, or whatever, you know. God is not willing that any perish. He's made a way. But the other side of the coin is, Sin is sin, and and sin and God don't 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 mix. God judges sin when we choose to live in sin and not allow His blood to cleanse us from all sin. Sin is judged. Okay, and God is the judge. 
But these people scoff as they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, and so they bring about their own destruction. So, you know, what he's trying to say is here is we have to engage our minds <laughs> so that we don't miss what God is trying to, to, to tell us. Verse 11, what sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother like Balaam. They deceive people for money, and like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. Wow. All right, so what is he saying here? He's saying there's people who have snuck into the church, and they're, they're living in sin. And now he compares them to three people in the Bible that we know. Cain, who was the firstborn son in this world, and what did he do? Killed his, was a murderer. <laughs> Killed his, his own brother. Killed his own brother. And like Balaam, and Balaam deceived people for money. Okay, it's kind of hard. You have to kind of connect the dots in order to understand the story of Balaam and Balak. You, you remember the part about the donkey speaking to him. Balaam, the, um, king's, uh, a foreign king came and said to sent messengers to him and said, "Come, I want you to curse the Israelites for me." God said, "No, don't go." But Balak, uh, Balaam wanted the money. He, the money was attractive to him, and so he prayed and he, he said to the, the messengers who came, "Just stay overnight. I'll ask God again in the morning and see if He'll let me go." <laughs> Duh. <laughs> So in the morning he says, Lord, you know, I really want to go with these guys. I need the money, which shows you something. So God says to him, all right, you can go with them. But you can't say anything unless I give, except what I give you to put in your, what I put in your mouth. So it shows us that, you know, we can pray our way. We can pray our will. You understand what I'm saying? We can want something so much and we can, we can pray and pray and get our way doesn't always turn out for the good though so just to, that just 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 to say that because sometimes we get really um, in our minds this is gotta be what God has to do and this is what I want and this is gonna happen and we can God can finally say okay have your way but it, it's not it's not for good so we have to be careful on that all right so he prays in the morning and God says okay go with them on the way, he gets on his donkey. You know what happens? The donkey sees the angel with a sword, ready to ready to kill Balaam. And the donkey speaks to him, finally, because he's beating his poor donkey, and the, and the donkey is saving his life. And fi- the Lord opens the donkey's mouth, and the donkey says to him, "Hey, what are you doing? I'm, you know, I've been a good, been a, been a good donkey all my life. What's wrong with you?" <laughs> and so then. His eyes are opened, and he see, he sees that that there's an angel standing with a sword drawn, and God warns him again not to say anything except he puts it in his mouth. So he goes to the he goes to Balak, and Balak says, "Come on, we'll go up on the mountains, and you make a sacrifice, and you prophesy, prophesy curses on these Israelites. They're they're pain them pain in my arm." So he uh, he t- he takes him up there, and he makes a sacrifice. And Balak opens his mouth, and what comes out? Blessing, 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 blessing on the Israelites. <laughs> uh, Balak gets mad. He says, what's wrong with you? He said, I told you I want you to curse them. 
He says, all right, let's go to another place. So they go to another place. They make a sacrifice. Yeah, this is true. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I'm not making this up. They go to another place. They sacrifice. And Balak opens his mouth. Balaam opens his mouth. What happens? Blessing comes out again. <laughs> blessing, blessing, blessing. Balak is mad again. So I think they tried it three times. And the same thing happened. Just blessing on Israel. So doesn't tell you there, but in, later on, yeah. You have the other side of the story. In, in Numbers 23, as a matter of fact, I think it's where it is. We can look at that real quick. God is not a man that he should lie. Yes, in verse 19. Nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He is blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob. Now, you know, Israel wasn't perfect. They were, you know, they were struggling too. But this is what God's blessing said. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Woo! These were the complaining Israelites, you know, who complained their way through the through the desert. But this is what God said. And the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox, for there is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness, like a lioness, and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all nor bless them at all. In other words, he said to him, Shut up. <laughs> so Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you all that the Lord speaks that I must do? Then he, it happens three times here, and we even have recorded all that, all that he blessed them with. I see him, but not now. Behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. And batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So they're even speaking of uh, the Messiah coming. So that didn't work. So Balaam couldn't curse them. But what he did was he wanted that money. And he wasn't going to get that money unless he, unless he cursed them or did something. And so what he did was he told Balak, he said, look, I can't say nothing. I can't accept God gives it to me. But I'll tell you how you can get their God mad at them. And he told them. He told them, you send, you send your men down by the uh, skirts of the camp and you get them to seduce the women there and commit immorality. And he said, then their God will be mad at them and will bring judgment against them. And that's how he got his money, by deceiving. You understand? He, he he figured it out. He knew how to work it. And they deceive people for money. And unfortunately, we have a lot of people in our world today who are deceiving people in the name of Christianity for money. Send me your money. I'll send you a rag that'll be blessed, a kerchief or, or whatever. I'm sorry to say it's so blunt, but oh, come on. What are, what, are, what are we doing? People are so... Um, needy and need the Lord so much in their lives and are so desperate for for something to work well that they'll send them their money for a, a kerchief that's supposed to supposedly blessed and I'm sorry but they're being deceived that's deception that's deception the gospel isn't merchandise that to be sold 
God blesses his people. You know, he loves his people. He wants to bless us. But it doesn't work like that. You send me a thousand dollars and and you'll be blessed. You'll get ten back in return. I'm sorry. I've read the word from cover to cover a number of times. I, I don't see that there. It's work in the system. It's working on praying on the on the hearts heartstrings of of people, and I I feel like as God must hate that. I, I I think that God hates that. It's deception, and it's it's not delivering people from their sin. It's not delivering them from their wounds. People are wounded and in bondage, held captive by all kinds of things. And here's these these. Uh, these ministries that are are promising all kinds of deliverance and help and and whatever as long as you send me your money. I'm sorry, you know. Remember Simon the sorcerer? He followed. He saw what Peter did when he laid his hands on people and how they got delivered. And he said, uh, "How much do I have to pay you? I want that power too." And Peter rebuked him, didn't he? He said, "Your money perish with you. It's not for sale." <laughs> The gospel is not for sale. Freely you have received, freely give. The gospel is good news and it's free to whosoever will. And when we start making merchandise out of it, so just all that to say, the world really hasn't changed much, has it? And it's a long time ago that this was written. Yeah, raised him up as a prophet for, for, for good. Absolutely could, could be. All right. Then the next guy was Korah, and I printed that. You'll have to read it on your own. We're kind of running out of time here. I, I went too slow, but you can read that 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 chapter in Numbers where it talks about Korah. And Korah, he was just complaining. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. Who do you think you are to, ha- to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? And when Moses, that's what it says there. When Moses heard it, he got scared, and he knew God better, of course, than they did. He fell on his face, and he was like, oh, please, God, don't strike him dead. And God did, eventually, because they persisted in it. And they said, we, they insisted that, that they were as good as Moses, and Moses had no right, or whatever. I don't, I don't know. They were just jealous, or whatever. You read the whole thing there. And so Moses said, bring your, bring your incense holders and we'll let God choose and let God determine it. And God said to Moses, go and tell the people to separate themselves from Korah, Ethan, and Abiram because his judgment's gonna fall. And Moses says, as I live, you need to, you need to separate yourselves from them because the ground's gonna open up. So, or, you know, he said, something's gonna happen that's unusual, that, that's never happened before. And sure enough, the ground opened up and swallowed them all up with their families and everything. I mean, it was horrible, horrible judgment. But it shows us again that we can't mess around when we come to God. We can't pretend God God is a God that hates sin. He hates sin. And he's made a way of escape for us that we don't have to sin. And so we need to learn to walk with him humbly. He wants us to learn. We can learn of him. He is meek and lowly of heart, and we shall find rest for our souls. Okay, let's just quickly go through the rest of the verses. All right, and they perished in their rebellion. And when these people eat, eat with you in your fellowship meals, commemorating the Lord's love, they are like dangerous reefs that can shipwreck you. In other words, the church where he's writing, 
they're they're just making nice with all kinds of people who are living in sin and not not ever saying you need to repent and you need to get right with God. They were just covering it up. You understand? And he's saying, no, you can't take of the Lord's Supper. You can't come and partake of the Lord's Supper with sin in your heart. It, God wants you to come to the table of the Lord, but you have to get cleaned up. You have to let the blood be applied. The blood has to cleanse us from all sin. God wants, he, he, he's made the table open. Come. He doesn't want us to stay away from the table. God, people have twisted this around too and say, well, I didn't live perfect this week, so I can't take communion. We know. That's, that's, that's not God's heart at all. God's heart is, here's the table. I want you to come. But come on, come in right relationship. Get cleaned up. Come, get the sin taken care of. Stay, there's strength. When we come, you know, we do communion once a month um, because it's commanded that we remember him. But but the Lord wants us to be in communion with him all the time. What I was trying to say is there's, there's, there's spiritual strength that we get from coming to the table of the Lord to help us to resist sin. And so he wants us to come. It's like a magnet. He's trying to draw us. And so even if we've sinned, well, that's the time to repent and say, Lord, just cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I'm your strength. If you strengthen me, I'll, I'll be able to live a holy life. And that's where we get the strength to do it. So never stay away from the table of the Lord. If you have to go and make something right afterwards, do it. But don't stay away. And so he's telling them, don't don't be stupid here, he's telling them. They are like shameless shepherds who care only for themselves. Again, don't we have that in our world? They are like clouds blowing over the land without giving any rain. They are like trees in autumn that are doubly dead, for they bear no fruit and have been pulled up by the roots. They are like, he's talking about people who are living in sin, saying to come into the table of the Lord, no change in their life. That's not God's way. They are like wild waves of the sea, churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. And we have it today. Every foul, perverse thing can be talked about, shown on TV. Um, we're to the point where the news can be pornographic and nobody's even blinking their eyes. Churning up the foam of their shameful deeds. They are like wandering stars doomed forever to blackest darkness. God hates it. God hates sin. Enoch, who lived in the seventh generation after Adam, prophesied about these people. Look at that. Enoch, he prophesied. This is another little window of information that we don't get anywhere else. He said, listen, the Lord is coming with countless thousands of his holy ones. He prophesied of the Lord's coming. Enoch, you don't get, you don't, you don't read that in the Old Testament. To execute judgment on the people of the world, he will convict every person of all the ungodly things they have done and for all the insults that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and complainers, Uh uh-oh, living only to satisfy their desires. They brag loudly about themselves, and they flatter others to get what they want. I don't think there's any explanation needed there. But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ said. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating division among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's Spirit in them. You see here? We have to be filled with the Spirit so that we can walk with God. And where do all the divisions and all all the mess come from? From not walking in the Spirit. But you, dear friends, must build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Can I say amen to that? Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in tongues. Pray in tongues more. Filled with the Spirit more. Pray in tongues. It brings heaven's answers. And await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you you eternal life in eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Here he's not saying write everybody off. He's, he's saying strengthen each other. When, when you see each other having a hard time, falling down, we don't cast each other off. We say, come on, you, you can, you can get up again. You can get cleaned up. Come on. You can do it. We're, we're standing with you. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. In other words, like the angels went to Sodom and Gomorrah, they had to snatch Lot out, didn't they? Well, sometimes we have to snatch, you know, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, there's some people that just need snatching. (laughs) Show mercy to still others. We have to know. In other words, we have to know how to walk. There's people who need a little pull. There's others who need us to... Be a little bit more gentle, you know, we, we, and the Holy Spirit is the one who guides us and teaches us. Who needs a pull and a tug and, and, and who needs a, a little quieter, gentler version of it? Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sin, sins that contaminate their lives. Hating the sins that contaminate their lives. It's okay to hate sin. We shouldn't be haters, but we can hate, we should hate sin like God hates sin. We'll be okay if we do that. Now to, I'm gonna go back to the other version for, for this because that's one of my favorite benedictions. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now think about that. To keep you, he's able to keep us from stumbling. After he goes through all of this and says, you know, God hates sin and he's going to judge it. He says, but, but, but now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and falling. You don't have to live in that sinful condition. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. Faultless? Hello? He just gave us all this list of, of horrible things that we need to stay away from. Present you faultless? Yes, it's possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before the presence of his glory, there's the glory again, with exceeding joy. Not just a little bit of joy, not just a little squirt of joy, but exceeding joy. (laughs) Hallelujah. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. What a beautiful benediction as we come to the end of a year, right? Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless. So if you've, if you've, if you stumbled through this old year, he's able to present you faultless. He's able to clean you up and get you standing up back on your feet and present you faultless. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord, for your word, which always instructs us and teaches us in the way that we should go. Help us to love you more and to love people and just fill us more with your spirit, Lord that will be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We'll know who to snatch and pull and who to be gentle with and and uh, show mercy towards, Lord. Help us. Give us your wisdom, Lord, that we will walk in this world in a way that glorifies you and shouts to the world that you are well and alive in us and through us. Thank you, Lord, for your precious word. 
Bless us now as we go through the rest of this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.